Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Kicking off my brand new podcast this week, I am chatting to the legend that is DJ Zinc. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And You're welcome. welcome. You're welcome. Does legend mean you don't know when to give up? <laughs> <laughs> no, legend means the person who has got me into drum and bass from a young, young age. And I've wow. seen how your career has, has taken all sorts of twists and turns. And I thought you were an incredible person to start off with because I've seen you go through so many different genres well yes so i wasn't three. fishing for a compliment but it, but it's very very kind <laughs> of you to say it like that yeah i've i've uh i've done different genres i've made music of different genres over the years and uh you've probably been doing it for my i don't mean to mean to make you feel old but you've probably been doing it for my entire lifetime yeah probably. professionally <laughs> yeah yeah which year were you born 94 94 so in 1994 i'd already been on pirate radio for three years um and in 1994, I just started, that's when I met DJ Hype around that time. So I started uh, developing the productions that I was working on. In 1993, I made my first track through somebody I'd met from Pirate Radio. Right. And then, um, so then by 94, 95 was when I was meeting the other DJs in club environments. And, um, and that was when I was, yeah, developing. Uh, and I met Hype. He was really helpful um, with... Uh, my production and so 94 yeah that was just before I did Super Sharp Shooter so yeah <laughs> that's madness to me I mean look the reason why I've asked you here today is because this podcast I wanted to create was an idea that was about educating my generation of ravers how rave has changed over the years okay because I think I, I definitely kind of especially when I go out raving now I definitely feel like something has changed that's quite big. I feel like um, I feel like pirate radio isn't really a thing anymore. Well, it def well, if it is, you know, I listen to a lot of, um, and my brother especially, we listen to a lot of online radio stations. Right. Um, but I felt like pirate radio was a whole movement in itself. It, yeah, I mean, it was incredibly important. And I was yeah. really lucky that I grew up in East London and could listen to pirate radio. If you weren't in the right area, you couldn't listen to the music. Oh, of so, course. Yeah, because so, there was only a certain bandwidth, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's only a certain radius, a certain um, area that these that the radio stations transmit to. So, mm -hmm. and I mean, I, I so many years and stories of doing that stuff where 
people would talk about the equipment that we could get out further and can we get you know we would we would be on the radio and we could get to south end and it was such a big deal because you can hear us in south end and um would you be climbing on the roof and tinkling with the a, li- a little bit but not not that much but a, a little bit a few times yeah um <laughs> which is i mean it was incredible to to be on top of the tower blocks in london it's just, i bet you know 23 24 floors up it was just incredible and you're on top of the tower block there's no barriers or staff or it's just you're on top of the roof and if you fall off you but you know i didn't go near the edge (laughs) (laughs) but it was incredible it was like really really exciting was Um, there rivals was there a rival yeah there was there was rivals and and occasionally the radio stations would um uh, pinch each other's transmitter or their aerials and that sort of stuff right there was a bit of um rivalry um but more in more recently when i say more recently i mean like since 96 or something you know um there's a i think there's a lot of quite a, a lot of uh camaraderie between the radio stations they help each other out and right so i started working with the rinse guys in i don't know 2005 six around about then maybe and they would help out call fm with their transmitter and they would both use the same guy to do the transit you know they'd they'd help each other out so pirate friends yeah exactly yeah so the pirates are can be friends sometimes <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so Pirate Radio was incredibly, incredibly important for the rave scene. And when I started, I would the, the, some of the pirates were not on at the, we, at the weekends, let alone during the week. So right. you could sometimes hear them, and, uh, but most of the time not. So I, I left school, was going, started work when I was 16, and in, every night would try and tune into these Pirate Radios to try and find one. And quite often there was nothing you could hear. And now... If you're 16 and you've just left school or you're going to university or doing whatever, you go onto YouTube and you find it. You go onto here, you find, you go onto SoundCloud and you find it. There isn't, you don't have the same restrictions in what you can find. And so this is, that's like very, very significant. Do you think that that being the case, do you think that has, is that a positive or a negative? Has that made radio less of a special thing? Because for me, if I was a kid in East London trying to tune in when I got the right bandwidth, I would feel like I had made a major accomplishment. So do you think that now technology has developed so much and we've, we've got all of the stations um, at our fingertips, do you think that's a good thing for my generation or do you think that has kind of watered it down slightly? Um, I think that it is... With with nearly everything uh, to do with progress and technology, I think that it's ninety percent good and ten percent bad. Right. And you know, it's. I was very frustrated that I couldn't find music that I wanted to listen to. Right. Um, you know, you might go to a rave on a Saturday and you would hear this music, but you'd hear it in a club environment. So mm-hmm. it's like the noise is bouncing around on the walls. And I never used to drink or do anything like that. So I was always really like clear headed and paying attention to the music but nevertheless how a tune sounds in a club versus how a tune sounds on the radio is is very different the same tune can sound completely different so i'd be hearing these tunes thinking you know what's the one that goes da 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 what's the one that goes like this and then then waiting during the week to see if possibly a pirate radio dj is going to play that same tune it was it was uh, really hard to to uh, to find the music that you wanted to listen to. You could get the tape packs from certain raves, but then that would be a few weeks after the rave, and again, you're limited to hearing what those club DJs are playing. So it was, for me, it's like, it, it's 90% better now. The 10% is that, the, the way it's not better is that 
you used to really have to work hard to find this stuff. So when you found it, I think you had, you know, like you say, a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. If you, if there was a song that you had heard for a year in clubs and you don't know what this tune is and it goes, dun, 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 and you go into shops and they say, I don't know what that is. And you go into all these places and you're singing it and they say, I don't know what it is. And then you get the record. You're just like, yes. It that's is what, what it mean, is. Yeah. By rhythm is rhythm. This is what it is. I wonder what it was, yeah. and that's what it is. I used to work in a record shop, and people used to come in and sing. Bass where did you? Where songs. did you work I in a record in Boogie shop? Times. Where was in that? Bradford, which was the label that Suburban Bass. It was the shop, the label Suburban Bass, which was one of the biggest jungle drum and bass labels. No way. They had a shop called Boogie Times. I used to work there on a Saturday. So did you used to have people coming in being like, I've got this song, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And you would have to yeah. be the human Shazam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> completely. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I had for years gone into shops singing bass lines and saying, what's the one that goes, no one can compete because I hit like a fireball. And they would say, that's Fireball by Chrome and Time. Uh, you know, and then now I was on the other side with people coming in and having to try and exactly human Shazam. Oh, I have so many questions about this, but let me, um, <laughs> as you were, as you were singing the bass line. Yeah. So the bass line I just sang was, it is what it is, which is one of the first tracks that I, uh, when I first got into electronic music, this was one of the tracks that stood out for me. And it's still one of my favorite tracks of all time. And it's, it's like the kind of blueprint for everything I've done since. Right. So it's, um, this is the tune uh, that was in 1988, right? Exactly. So mm -hmm. it's got a, a big bass line. It's got quite moody elements to it. Yeah, let's rhythm. play um, It Is What It Is, Rhythm Is Rhythm. This is one of the ones where I went into the shop and sung the bass line, you know. <laughs> So, uh, that was It Is What It Is by Rhythm Is. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at this, man. Smashy and nicey, come on. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were just saying while that was playing, I really liked the um, the string, the synth strings, mm. which were kind of classic sounding 80s synth strings. Yes. And I was saying to you how it still sounds really quite, actually quite fresh to this yeah. day. Um, yeah. One of the things about those synths and that era that makes it, that, that means that you can tell quite str straight away that th that is an 80s sound, that mm -hmm. is an 80s synth, is that the synths uh, weren't, um, they weren't tuned by digit. they weren't tuned digitally, right. they were tuned manually. So you would, so I've got like eight or 10 of these keyboards at home. And if you play a middle C on one of them and, on, and middle C on another one, when you first turn them on, it's going to be a completely different note. And then you have to tune it up just you do it by, by ear, ear so right. so all of these keyboards you tune them by ear and so uh and, and then the, the tuning drifts slightly so invariably none of them are perfectly in tune with each other and it means that you get this really like thick uh analog sound right it's a bit like if you've got you know if you have like four violins and you have 12 violins you can tell that there are 12 because it just sounds thicker and bigger and more lush and yeah. i think I, I think that's because they're all very slightly out of tune with each other because, yeah. you know, they're all the, the, the person's using their finger. Well, it's the same with vocals, right? This is why we do double tracks exactly. instead of just layering yeah. up vocals, the same vocal underneath each other. Exactly. Because you'll never do the same vocal take that is the same as the other. So exactly. you, you fill it up, bigger sound. And, and with vocals, I think that if you have, um, if you 
you can hear a track nowadays that doesn't have a lot of auto tune because there's something about it that sounds like kind of unusual compared to most pop. Yeah, and so less and, clean, I suppose. Yeah, and just you know, there there would be a load of words to describe it from you know the, the good words or bad words, but essentially you can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that with the a lot of the newer keyboards um, from maybe you know like 2000 or whatever, they were they were they had digital tuners so they're all in in tune with each other much more and so it was a different sort of sound then when we were all using plugins it's like perfectly in tune and it's but then they've started kind of uh, doing emulations of the old stuff because there is something about the old stuff that yeah. has like a sort of soul uh, um and so yeah so that was and, and that track we listened to is a great example of that where it kind of just sounds kind of wide and warm and you know, it works. Like but, a big acid house hug. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about um, mainly the rave because you mentioned that you you would go to clubs and hear these tunes and then turn up at record shops, shops singing these singing these bass lines. Yep. What age were you raving from? How long were you raving? Do do you still <laughs> rave? Do you when when did you stop? Did you start? Um, did you did you, you know when you start working in clubs? When you say you raving, stop? what do you mean? Um, well, my definition of raving is kind of going out to a club, dancing to the music, um, and spending more than four hours there. Yeah, I think um, I still go to raves. Because I work at raves, and so I still hear a lot of the music and enjoy the music. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I was at a festival this weekend, and I, and my friends were playing in the other room, and I went and stood there for half an hour and really enjoyed what you know they were playing some new music, and I'm very into new music. Yeah. So I still listen to a lot of um, rave music in that environment. Um, I started when I was 16, 17, and for the listeners of this podcast, we are currently in Kings Cross. Right. You used to go to Bagley's, right? And this is where Bagley's was. Probably, or, I mean, we, f- from where we are, we can look out of the studio window and see a building, and that building was Bagley's, right? <laughs> so there was... I've heard so much about this club. It it's was supposed a, I mean, to be legendary. <laughs> yeah, it's legendary. It's one of these things, like, at the time, it, it, was, it, it was like, not a crap hole, but it was a bit like, it, you know, Bagley's, you know, sweat coming off the ceilings and... You know, it wasn't, Those lovely it's not like clubs. super sophisticated, it was grimy, it was a warehouse, it was no warehouse that yeah. was, and this area was, uh, they knew they were going to do it all up, so they, from the warehouse was closed until, they said, you know, you've got 10 years until we're actually going to regenerate the area, Damn. and so somebody said, right, let's have a rave for 10 years, and so, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so that building that we can see, that your listeners can imagine, uh, is, um, was ba- is Bagley's, and so there yeah. were hundreds of raves there from all different kinds of music and uh, yeah I used to go there but that was after quite a while after I'd started uh, being involved and that's more like I guess late late 90s right okay I mean this is why I wanted to do the podcast at Spiritland because I feel like A this is quite a muso muso kind of restaurant cafe bar whatever you want to call it um, and also because I mean I've heard a lot about Bagley's and um Again, it's this is something that I find I get, um, being 25, I get rave jealousy. FOMO. What is it? It's not fear of missing out. It's not... It's, it's fear that I have missed fear out. Fear of missing out, yeah. <laughs> uh. Which is why I started this podcast, because I really wanted to get to know what it was like back in the day um, with raving and kind of like playing clubs. I mean, this is ge- this is like a general thing, whether you were there dancing to it or playing it. So when when that was all going on in the late 90s, early noughties, 
what was the atmosphere at raves like? Because I know what they're like now, um, but I and I don't I don't have anything to compare it to. But the thing, like, I get the impression that people were a lot more engaged back in the day. Um, I think that the, that one of the things about nostalgia is that it's uh, select we're selective in our memories mm-hmm. when when we are uh, think, re, re, thinking back on on times. And we tend to remember the good things and not the bad. Uh, and I, if, if I look back on it, I say, oh, yeah, it was so great. The warehouses, yeah, you'd be in this mm. warehouse. But what I forget is that being in a warehouse generally means the sound is crap because it's just bouncing around over the walls. Yeah. And um, so I think that, that it, essentially that was um, the, 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 the thing is that it, it was just less well organized. Right. Because I think I know. Sorry to spoil your uh, dream of <laughs> this, this amazing <laughs> rave experience no, you missed out on. You've but, made uh, me feel a lot better, actually. Yeah, I think that. The, I still have a great time. I think that the, the thing that I've. One thing I've noticed over the years is that when people are talking about the sort of uh, history of raving and, and this sort of stuff, is they. Uh, a good example is I was walking into a club in China. And as I was walking through, a bloke said to me, you are going to play something from the golden era, aren't you? So I said, I think, yeah, probably. And, um, but what he meant was his golden era. So what he meant was the golden era that he, when he first got into raving, right. that's his golden era. Mm-hmm. And so I was on that night playing some stuff from all different ages. So I thought I'll probably get one or two that he likes. Mm-hmm. But he, for him, there is only one golden era. Yeah. Because he, he you know, it's hard to be... Um, objective about something that's so subjective but um yeah so i think people often think of their uh when when they first went raving as being the the sort of when it was good and then afterwards oh it's not so good anymore the music's crap and before is just only whatever you can find on youtube but um you know i think another example is that when i started making breakbeat um people were saying to me oh, why don't you get back to your roots? And my roots is, it is what it is, what we just heard. Or when I was making house, they're like, get back to your roots. Actually, my roots is, yeah. is 127 BPM, 4-4 four, four, with yeah. a bass line. I mean, uh, you know, and my roots is also some breakbeat stuff and blah, blah. But what they meant is they want me to get back to their roots. Yeah. And so... Good point, actually. Yeah, so I think that, that you know, there were... If you speak to somebody that, that was raving in 88, they'll say that was the, the best time ever. And it hadn't really happened before. So it was new and it was exciting. Yeah. But ever since then, I think that if you were 17 or 18 in 1994, you would have been going to the jungle raves in Bagley's or whatever. And yeah. you would say that was the era. That was amazing. Da, da, da. You know, and nowadays yeah. it's not as good. If you were going out in 98 or 99, going to the end, you when the end was, was tearing in there you'd say my god that was the best ever that was the best club in london ever you mentioned and the end to me didn't end, you right yeah so the end you know was an amazing club but yeah. if you but then if you started going out in 2000 and if you started going to forward in 2007 when dubstep was just coming through yeah right, i was there right then <laughs> then you would say that was you know that is it a lot of people cite that forward at, at plastic people as being the most perfect club experience ever yeah i remember well i wasn't at the clubs but i do remember the dubstep whole era as well but then i'm not sure my first rave experience was fabric on a player's night Right, that so was the... Fabric again is an incredible club, and if that was your mm. first experience, you, you you might think that is the best club has ever been. And since then, you might go to other places and say it's not quite what Fabric used to be on a Friday night. You know that that last Friday of the month or the first Friday that was incredible. And but it's, I think that every that we do that generally. Um, so sorry to uh, 
if that messes up your uh, <laughs> no, it podcast, Becky. But, no, but, seriously, but, because I think it's important for me to find to find this sort of stuff. And and I wanted to speak to you because you've been outside of drum and bass because mm-hmm. drum and bass is very much a bubble in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the re- the scene is a very much a bubble scene. I think inevitably because the music is a different tempo. It's like a, it's, it was always a satellite scene. If you're into techno, you can be a bit into tech house, or you can be into you know if you're a techno yeah. DJ, you can play a bit of house or a bit of tech house. Hundred percent. But drum and bass is out there on its own. What would you say is your golden era? Um, I think I'm uh, an oddity in that my golden... I've had like a few golden eras. I've had a few times when I've felt like really moved by a new sound. And so the first for me was the sort of Acid House. So that track, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and then um, the, the next track... Um, I wanted to play is Terminator by Goldie and that was is a tune yeah it's a tune and and at the time it was that was I mean that was a tune where you know where you were the first time you heard it like everybody I know that was raving at that time they can remember where they were when they first heard that tune because it was so different to every, it was like outstanding this tune the way that the the beats the people would had just been starting to dabble with time stretching but this was a different and he he people were using the Akai's to do time stretching and he used um, an even tied machine to do this the, 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 to time stretch the, the break beat up and it was just unlike anything else it was just unlike anything else at all and so for me that was a that was a, a, a golden era that was when I was on pirate radio but I didn't get onto pirate until ninety one so from eighty eight to ninety one I was buying records but I didn't have turntables I didn't have any money for turntables I'd never t- even touched a pair of Technics until I no went onto pirate radio because I didn't have any money. And so, how did you know then? Did you have to learn from scratch how to mix? We, we, my, my friend Trevor had uh, turntables without pitch, so we had to like physically twist the one to make it go faster and, f- and put your thumb on the platter to make it go slower. <laughs> so by the time I got to Technics, it was like this is so easy well, because you had the tempo. Because you can, yeah. you know, move a thing on the side and it actually Makes changes it the speed of the record, <laughs> and you can let go and it stays at that speed. No way. So we were like, so me and Trev, like I had a, a partner called Swift, who's not Mampy Swift, a different Swift. Right, me and right. Trev, we started doing Pirate Radio '91, and immediately they were like, "Right, you guys can do four hours on a Saturday and four hours on a Sunday because you're really good." Right. And we had this; it was the first time we'd ever mixed, but because well, first time we'd ever used pitch on turntables but because we'd been like doing it for for a year or two just twisting it by your hand (laughs) they we were found it quite easy to mix on on turntables on different decks he had this he had this thing the sort of i mean it was what you would find in a pub at the time of (laughs) people that would have the the djs with the, the lights in the front so it was like one big rectangle box with two platters in it and then two knobs one was to turn up the volume of the right knob and one was to right. turn up the volume of the left knob and that was it and so they didn't have any more controls or anything and so you would put your record on and either you'd have to play records that are the same tempo which nowadays is a lot but then there was it was not but how, did, how did you know that i mean i <laughs> i've kind of tried to learn to mix it's very difficult i'm not that bad i'm definitely not that great but i think one of the things that i find i uh, difficult is to work out which one is faster than the other I think that comes after a while. You, you get used to. You just are able to to automatically tell which one it but is. But then, how do you know if you're playing two records in the same tempo if you don't have anything telling you what the tempo is, it was, or, or yeah. was it on the sleeve? No, no, no. You, no, no. Records. They didn't tell you what the tempo was. <laughs> it wasn't like CDJs. No, no. You <laughs> had to listen. What I'm saying. Is it like the CD? You had to listen and with your and and determine using your ears and brain 
which one was going too fast and which one was going too slow. And then you would use your hands to adjust them. And if you didn't have pitch, you'd have to do it by... If you wanted this one to go faster, you just twist it around, twist, twist, twist. And if you wanted it to go slower, you put your finger on it to slow it down. I mean, that was a, like, you had to learn how to use this stuff. Um. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And... So it took me a long time to uh, get going. But by 93, I was kind of uh, in full swing. And that was when Terminator Goldie came out. And I was in a, I was in a, a rave in Leighton, or Leightonstone, which was in a gym. A gym, but they, <laughs> they had a rave in there. And, uh, and, and wow. that's when I, and I heard it. And I was like, what on earth is this? This is just unbelievable what I'm hearing. And I was so focused on music as a, you know, I wasn't interested in art, visual art. I wasn't interested in television. I wasn't interested in anything. I was really, really, really interested in music. Yeah. And so to hear this thing that is completely revolutionary in the thing that I'm completely focused on was just like, st- stopped me in my tracks. I was like, oh my God, what is this? Well, without further ado, let's let's get terminated by Goldia. <laughs> That was Goldie Terminator. What year was that? 92 or 93. Jeez. Um, What I love about that track is that you can hear Goldie. You can hear his entire personality in that in that in that song. Yeah. Like you can hear the way his cogs move in his brain. Um, I love the different sections because yeah. we were talking about this earlier, right? And it was almost like at the time you didn't really realise there was any different sections. It all kind of flowed into it. But that's the first thing I picked up on when I listened. I was like, wow, we're going here now and then we're going there. I I get everybody to choose three tracks. Mm-hmm. I also choose a track. Okay. 
and obviously mine is your uh, mine as you know is my biggest and favorite track of yours which is creeper because i remember hearing that as probably a 10 year old Okay. <laughs> and uh, 10, 11 years old. And that was the moment I got into drum bass. I heard it through my brother's door. Okay. Um, through his bedroom door. And I remember running in and being like, what the hell is this? And I remember playing it in my <laughs> middle school in art class. And I was hooked from there on. The vocal mix? Yes. Okay. I think I think Dynamite, Dynamite quickly became one of my favourite MCs from, from that point forward. Um, He's great, isn't he, Dino? Yeah, I loved the fact that he could sing as well as spit. Yeah, I thought that was super impressive. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know what to call him. I wouldn't call him an MC. Would, would you call him an MC? Well, yeah, he's Dynamite MC, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's clues in the title, Beck. Um, but he's a good, good host, MC. Exactly. Sings. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's an, an all rounder. Yeah. So, how did you meet Dino and? I met Dino. Um, I was aware of him because uh, of the full cycle Ronnie Sires. You know, I'd, I was aware of him, um, and he uh, had been on Ronnie's album. Um, He's a Bristol Forms, boy, right? He's a Bristol, yeah. And he'd been on the New Forms album, so I was aware of him as a performer. And I did an album in two thousand and two, maybe called Faster. And when I did that, I was wanted to use some features so I so I thought I'd like to get Dynamite to work to, to do a track and I didn't think that he would say yeah and I didn't I felt like I felt like not taking the mick but I was like can I really ask him to be on a track like is he is there any chance he might say yeah and then he and then so I sort of did it through my agent who had was the same agent or something and they were like or it was my agent's assistant she said oh yeah yeah I can just email him if you want so she did and then he's like yeah yeah he's up for it and I was like wow this is amazing. Dynamite is actually up for it. So, so we did a track on uh, on on the album that I did called Faster. These are two thousand and two emails. Two thousand two two thousand three. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's how they did <laughs> on, it um, on Yahoo or AOL. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then f after that, I did a track on his album, and then we were kind of uh, buddies after that. And so I said to him, "I got this track. I'd like you to listen to it, and you know maybe." do a vocal on it so he did and I, that was, my studio was in Brick Lane at the time so that's like 2005 oh I lived just on the road yeah so that was Brick Lane was a very different place from what it is now let me tell you and I bet so, yeah it was really I had a studio there from 2002 to 2012 is that where Old Rents was at exactly yeah in, exactly yeah mm -hmm. in the uh, Truman Brewery yes so I was there from 2002 for 10 years that's where I met you right and first time yeah. that's where we did we wrote together yeah 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 and so that was a, that was my studio originally and then Rince was there and then um, rinse and move now. So, yeah, I know. I went. I was, I was yeah. on Stamina MC's show okay, not yeah. so long ago. So um, they're in Kingsland Road now. But yeah, so I was in. So that was in that studio there. That's where we recorded that. Where, um, where you recorded where you, it in recorded on it Brick in Lane. Way. Yeah, on Brick Lane. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't know that at the time of our uh, writing session. <laughs> I've been gassed as fuck. Um, well, let's listen to it, man. This is, um, I know all the words. I'm not going to sing it. Come so, on, but... Becky. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Creeper by DJ Zing and Dynamite MC. BVs by Becky. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years and we still got the fever. One for all, we're not looking for no leader. All you got to do is know how to heat her. Dance floor, introduce you to the sweeper. Lock it down, big sound, it's the keeper. So stand clear and get ready for the creeper. Creeper, 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 creeper. I 
Okay, so that was the um, vocal version of Creeper by you and Dynamite. Yep. Big up Dynamite MC. Are you... What um, Don? Isn't he? He's he a was... Don, he's a Don. He's a multi-talented, multi-genre. He really is, because I did some uh, uni gig in Cambridge not so long ago, and I saw him at the side of stage before I went on. And he was still there by the time I come off. Bless him, he'd watch my whole set. And he was like, oh, yeah, me and Zink are doing, um, doing a remake of, of Creeper. You, you have to be on it. <laughs> and I was like, bro, I'm about, man. This is what, what I've spent the last 15 years dreaming about. Um, so what's that going to entail? A, he's, an imp- he's an impressive guy. Um, it will just entail me and Diana doing the best we can do. Given, <laughs> 20 years on. what we've got, yeah. It's not 20 years on though, is it? But it's going to be 20 years and we've still got the fever, right? Yeah, it's 13, 14 years. But it, it, when he when we made it, it was 10 years. So now it's even another 10 years. So he was, when we made it, it was 2006. And what he was saying was, it's 10 years of drum and, you know, drum and bass and we've still got the fever. Right. So I think good. so. I think that's what he meant. We'll have to uh, phone oh, a friend, phone Dinah. But yeah, he was saying at the time he was like 10 years and we've still got this fever. So now it's like 20 years and we've still got the fever. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those uh, it's one of those genres that I don't think will ever stop now. I think everything's going to stop in time, Becky. But come on, let's not get onto that. Don't one. be like that. No. <laughs> in time, all this will be gone, Becky. No! Yep, yep, it's true. Um, <laughs> mm. I want to talk about... The transient nature of uh, existence. <laughs> No, 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 let's, let's keep it simple. Let's keep, let's keep it simple. It's about music, guys. I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't start talking yeah. about the trans. I mean, I could do, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how comfortable you are with talk. And I'm sure you got asked this a lot when you first came out of Crackhouse. Mm. But what was it that, what was it that made you? How did we go from Creeper to Crackhouse? Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so uh, this is a, this is a story. Uh, but essentially, when I got into jungle and drum and bass this is starting with music like it is what it is so it so i followed it all the way through from before jungle existed yeah before drum and bass existed i was into it and so i was following the scene and completely into it one of the things that i loved about jungle and drum and bass was that inevitably because it hadn't previously existed all of the people that were making the music had been somewhere else before and so you know, right, like, so, okay. so Levick has burial, Jumping Jack Frost has got rare groove in it and has got, you know, a breakbeat in it. It's got Lynn Collins breakbeat. It's got some rare groove in it. And then all of these different tracks had different. There were some people that had classical music samples. Some of Shut Up and Dance had classical music and then a bit of Raga samples. And they all had breakbeats in them. But they because, you know, and some songs had a more techno feel. And some song had more of this feel because mm-hmm. the producers had all come from somewhere else because it hadn't existed. So, so but it it's, wasn't it's not- like, imagine, you know, imagine you invented a new country and you get people, one person from every country that previously existed to go there. You're going to have this real mishmash of all different food, all different this, all different that. All Which different what Jungle was. Because everybody's bringing what they previously knew. And something that I loved about Jungle was that it was always so fresh and it had such fresh influences. Mm. So come to about you know and, and that continued and there was new you know like pendulum came in they'd come from a band background so they had a different approach to music i loved it yeah and it was you know ed rush and optical they had a different sound they'd come from a different background you yeah know, particularly optical so I remember all these different them. sounds came in and it was like wow this is great it was very tech i feel like there ed rush and optical created tech. Yeah. tech drum and bass yeah. in a sense that they they, they they really steered the scene in a certain they way they did yeah but different producers brought different sounds and, di- and there were different trends but w- one thing that i 
started to notice around about 2005 was that the music, a lot of the people that were then making the music had grown up on drum and bass. And so their references were drum and bass. So, right, so it, it became started a bit derivative. Stagnant. Yeah, yeah, it became derivative, like mm-hmm. self-referencing. And so there was a few examples. Like there's a, there, there is a big drum and bass tune, right, that was an anthem. It was one of the biggest tunes around. And the guy that made it, you know, you would definitely know the tune. I, I said to him, it's a, I love this, I love this. It kind of reminds me of, of this other tune that from 10 years before. And he said, yeah, I played that, that tune from 10 years before in a club, but it didn't sound very good. So I thought I'd go home and kind of remake it. And that's what this new one was. Right. I'm not going to say what the tunes were, but essentially that kind of became a part of the scene is that people were remaking old songs or... What, it became commercial in the overground? No, not commercial, but it just... I was interested in the first time that song was made. Right. Not somebody remaking it, but with slightly better plugins. Right, right, right. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but, so there was a few times when people, when I would notice there's, you know, there's a big tune in the scene and it sounds to me exactly like something from 12 years ago, but just, you know, new, a, a refresh. And I felt like I've heard this before. There's not anything new. You know, I was struggling to find new stuff. Yeah. And I did think to myself, is it, am I just getting a bit old? And, you know, all these, the old people say, oh, new music's all crap. It all sounds the same. And I was thinking, maybe that's me. But then... <laughs> I said to my agent at the time, can you set me up to do a tour where I play a bit of house, a bit of breakbeat, a bit of dubstep and a bit of drum and bass? And my agent at the time, he was like, great, what a great idea. It, was not, it wasn't happening in the clubs. And I remember Shy FX played a garage tune in a drum and bass set once and everybody was talking about it, like, wow, did you hear Shy FX play so-and-so? It was like, you weren't allowed to do it. It was just, so anyway, so this is around 2006. I said to my agent, set me up with a tour. So... He, because I, I thought I just want to have more going on, basically. Mm. And I was a bit bored with where drum and bass was. So um, he set up this tour and, the you know, thankfully the promoters were kind of bought into the idea. And I got to like two weeks before the tour and I thought, right, let me go on Beatport and I'm going to, the house I want to play, I, I want it to be kind of like the UK Garage stuff. So it's like, you know, 4-4, four, four, but with bass lines, like Morel's Groove or whatever, you know. Yeah. Went on Beatport. Where is it? Nope. Okay, let me go on to track source. Where is it? No, I just and I could not find what I wanted, and I just assumed that it existed. This yeah. I assumed that there was house with bass lines, and there wasn't. No, so, there wasn't. It was quite revolutionary what you did. I yeah, think with those albums, that's what I think. That's what definitely came across for me. It was like. It was like you had, as you say, I mean, it all makes sense for me that drum and bass had kind of got a little bit stagnant for you, but you still had all these ideas and you just didn't know where to put them because yeah. it would, it, you know, I can imagine from what you're saying, it felt like you couldn't put them into drum and bass because people were now remaking the remakes. Like, yeah, they would... I just felt like I needed to excite, I needed to be interested myself. And so, yeah. So when I realized that, what I wanted to hear in house music didn't exist. Uh, I thought, I'll make it then. I'll make what mm-hmm. I want to hear. And so that was at the same time that my son was... He, in the year before he started school, I decided to take a year off of work so that I could spend the year with him mm-hmm. because I thought that once your kid goes to school, they kind of lose your influence and they are influenced by all their friends. So I thought, I just want to hang out with him for a year before so he goes to school. Day. So I'm really lucky that this job allows me to um, take a year off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so, fully. so what I decided to do was, so when I did that tour, I realised that 
there was a sound that I was really interested in that didn't exist and or I couldn't find. And so I then said to my agent, well, I'm going to take a year off. When I start again, I'm going to be making this house stuff. And I remember Scream, during the year off, Scream said to me, are you going to play drum and bass when you start again? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to just do this house stuff. And he was like, that's bollocks. So I said, what do you mean that's bollocks? No, he's like, he's like no, bruv, that takes bollocks and I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah I know man. I was like oh, okay cool you know and it's, and it's interesting because he's he's done a similar thing where he completely left one scene behind and moved to another and and has been really successful so so in that year um I I took a year off and I thought when I it's, it, it was really like jumping off a cliff and not knowing where I was going to land because I said to my agent right I'm going to take a year off and then I'm going to start making this house and there's not a scene for it and there's not anybody else making it, but that's what I'm going to do. And he was like, my agent, he was like, great, okay, let's go. You know, he was pretty uh, up for a challenge. Um, but in that year, within that year, I took off and I was trying to work out how's this going to sound? Is it like breakbeats? Is it like this? Is it like that? Is when the Crookers had that um, up all late at night tune with uh, Kid Coody. Yes. Oh, um, right? day and night. Day and night. Yeah. So they had that, and they did an essential mix, and in they and uh, listen to the essential mix, sort of looking for inspiration and vibes. That was a and huge tune. That man. was a huge tune, and the whole mix was fine. It was all right, except yeah. for this one tune in the middle of it, and I was like, "This is what I've been looking for. This is it. Like this is it. It's like house, but it's got a bass line. It sounds a bit like jungle, but it's got you know, it's it's this is it." And so, I phoned up one of the scratch perverts. Um, and I said to him, he or you know, I was on the phone to him, chatting and chatting, and we were talking. He was saying, I was talking about this sort of this sound that I'm looking for. And I said, I said, I heard one tune, and it's it's it is it is it. This is by AC Slater. Jack got jacked. The Jack Beats remix. Right. Right. I said, I don't know who it who it is, but it's, it is it. And he and one of the scratch perverts said to me, "You're taking the piss." So I said, "No, no." And he's like, "That's one of the other scratch perverts made that." And I was like, no, no way. Fucking, I was way. Like, fucking hell, that is such That's a coincidence. That's so strange how so it can strange. come around like that. And so, and so that was it. And so here it is. Jack Got Jacked, AC Slater, Jack Beats Remix. And on that note, here it is. <laughs> Lovely introduction. That was a uh, Jack Got Jack by the Jack Beats remix by AC Slater, and that was a track. I was so happy when I heard that because I realised I'm not on my own looking for this sound. There are other people doing it, and so all of a sudden there was uh, fake blood. There was FOMA. There's all these people. Fake blood was sick. Yeah, so Man, I remember downloading their shit off DB9 yeah, yeah. when I was like 16 and being yeah. like, um, I think I like it was yeah, like yeah, a yeah. sick tune. Yeah, incredible. And so I, it was really cool to know that it, I wasn't just g jumping off of a cliff and, you know, there was somewhere to land. And uh, it was this really exciting time. So so I did that for a while and, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And it was nice making cutting edge music in a scene that didn't really exist it was kind of like sounded you know, so fresh man. yeah it was really fun to do mm. and um I, I loved doing that and continued doing that for a while and then more recently 
it got to about three years ago and three or four years ago and I started to feel like in the DJ sets I wanted to start playing a bit of jungle at the end I noticed I, right. I saw this t turning yeah. point with you on lineups because it would always have in brackets jungle set yeah or... so I started doing jungle sets a couple mm -hmm. of jungle sets again and um then so so really in the last sort of three years I've started I for me you know drum and bass became a bit interesting again there's there's a there's a sort of a new sound that uh, appeared yeah that i've that, that appealed to me i feel like there's more subgenres now in drum and bass than there ever ever was with like neurofunk with even even with jump up with tech with all of it i feel like there's this new wave yeah. of people like benny l upgrade yeah. um leveler i yeah. think leveler's making some really interesting shit right now like even and even on the commer more commercial side with dimensions and and people like that, I think yeah, like as you say, hundred percent. Yeah. There's quite a few people. Um, canine, canines yeah. like canine yeah. is making some really fresh shit at the minute, and I feel like for the first time in drum and bass, it's got a new set of ears on it. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it feels it's you know I, I I'm I find it appealing again. With what I do, it's not really calculated. It's just what I, I i'm into what i'm into and yeah, i just yeah. go with it and so more recently i'm just been more into drum and bass as well as other stuff well i think also coming back around to like the original podcast point i think now more than ever you can you can be like when i first started raving if somebody was to drop a halftime tune or a, or a dubstep tune, people would put their fucking middle fingers in the air and like, yeah. and you know, and it, there would be proper disgust yeah. in an audience. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. I remember seeing Chase and Status when they were playing all the, they were, they went through a little trap phase at one point and people were really confused about the whole thing. They didn't, ravers didn't know what to do with themselves. And I think especially the switch up in tempo, dancing from from 170 to then go into 140 or 130, you know, I think, but now I've seen being a, like being in the crowds and and having the DJ switch up the tempo halfway through, people are so more receptive yeah. to it now. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing thing and how Rave has changed over the years that you can be in that scene and you can flip up a set. Yeah, yeah. I wish it had been 13 years ago when I, I was I bet you going did, around man. the country doing it and people were standing still for most of it until their bit came in and then they would dance like crazy yeah. and, then, and then they would stand still again. But yeah, it's, it's great. It's really cool to see. It's an interesting thing The you know the the this podcast uh you're talking about raving and that. it's an interesting thing how people's ident a big part of people's identity is the music they're into when they get to like 15 16 yeah and so it's it's interesting how how people can be really uh passionate about they don't want to hear this they do want to hear that they're not you know I, my friend was into heavy metal and we stopped being friends because I was into raving and he was into heavy metal, you know, and it's kind of like that, isn't it? It's like becomes yeah. such a, it's, it becomes such a big part of uh, who you are and what you're doing, the music that you're into. It really does, which is why I wanted to create this and, and kind of, um, cause I only became more open, I suppose, to different genres when I became like, when I, came to the music industry because right. I was subjected to more um, raves and, and different kind of genres and stuff. Um, and I think it's important to educate my gen generation and like for anybody that... Um, for anybody that is older or younger or my age or, or whatever, I think it's really important to to get this kind of view. It viewpoint. could be our mission, Becky. Uh, you know be what? Mission, I am a woman on a mission. The multi-genre, the multi-genre <laughs> mission. 
DJ Zinc. Yeah, thank you, you very much for inviting me uh, today. Absolute pleasure to kick off this podcast. Thank you so, so much. Pleasure. Pleasure. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 